Nehemiah chapter 3. I'm only going to read a few scriptures, even though my series is going to consist of the whole chapter. But since I'm not going to cover the whole chapter, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Amen. I'm just going to read the first few verses, and then we're going to go from there. Amen. You ready? All right. I read today in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, and the word of the Lord says this so. Nehemiah chapter 3, beginning at verse number 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priest started to rebuild at the sheep gate. If you're going to highlight something, highlight the word sheep gate. At the sheep gate, they dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the tower of, of the hundred, which they dedicated, and the tower of Hananel. People from the town of Jericho worked next to them, and beyond them was Zakur, son of Imri. The fish gate, if you're going to underline something else or highlight it, highlight the fish gate. The fish gate was built by the sons of Hassanah. They laid the beams, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and Bars. And I'm going to stop right there. I'm not going to read a whole lot more. I want to submit to you that if you continue to read Nehemiah chapter 3, there's eight more gates that it talks about. I stopped at two gates, the sheep gate and the fish gate. Amen. But there are eight more gates, ten gates all together. Amen. And so that's what I'm going to be talking to you about for the next couple of weeks. Uh, and I've decided to call this message repairing the gates repairing the gates let's go to the lord in prayer father in jesus name have your way in this place and minister to your people in a powerful way lord god look at everybody that decided to come into the house of the lord on a weekday i pray lord god hallelujah your word declares that those that come into your house by night are blessed just for the simple fact of coming at night and so father god for those of us hallelujah who sacrificed to be here today i pray that you release a special blessing upon them in this place and we thank you for it in jesus name and the church said amen and amen now very quickly let me just submit to you hallelujah that nehemiah is listing not just all the gates that were repaired but he's also doing it to acknowledge the individuals the in particular individuals that worked on the gate uh, he's that awesome kind of leader, hallelujah, that not, that's not taking credit for the whole work. But he's recognizing everybody who had a hand in the project and he wants to uh, honor them. Amen. And so he's listing the work. He wants it to be recorded. He wants people to know how this work has gotten done. But just to get into it very quickly, I'm not, my intention is not to to strain the text, hallelujah, but to deal with these ten, 10 gates. The first one that the Bible begins to talk about is the sheep gate. This was the gate through which the animals were brought into the city, inclu including the temple sacrifices, amen? This was the only gate out of the 10 gates that the Bible says was uh, sanctified, amen? Uh, the scripture says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. In other words, the only way to God is through sacrifice. I said the only way to God is through sacrifice, amen? This is the gate, in other words, hallelujah, while we're going to talk about many gates, I want you to know that as it pertains to salvation, the sheep gate is that gate. 
It is that gate where you come through, hallelujah, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, and it is the only way to God. Amen, somebody. If you're with me so far, shout glory. glory. Amen, hallelujah. Watch this. How many of you understand that when we're talking about gates or when we're talking about doors, they have uh, several purposes, you know? Uh, a door will give you access. A gate, a door will grant you access, will grant you entrance. Amen. If you knock, hallelujah, on a door, chances are that door can be opened. Amen. And it will lead you into an enclosed area. Uh, doors are also good in the sense of protection. Amen. If you can get in a place and shut that door, you can find yourself in an area that is protected. Amen. It, it, it unlocks what listen it locks up what's unwanted i said it can lock up what's unwanted it locks out unwanted people come on somebody yeah we closed it we closed the door because sometimes there's a draft right so so we shut the door because we don't want that that draft or that air coming in sometimes we shut it because we don't want the hot air coming in amen somebody uh, sometimes we shut it because there's too much noise going on uh, on the outside. And so we use that door as a protection, a form of protection. A door or a gate also represents opportunity. I said it open. Listen, when we're talking, when, we, when you hear the term God is opening a door, what we're really saying is God is giving me an opportunity. Amen, somebody. And your God is the God of opportunities. Amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. At the same time, a door is also used for deliverance because not only do you gain access to come in, you open a door and you can come out. In other words, you can have an exodus through a door. You can make an exit through a door. Are you with me in this place? Hallelujah. Uh, at the same time, hallelujah, uh, many times in the Bible when, when you hear concerning doors, hallelujah, like uh, open ye up. Uh, ye everlasting doors or ye everlasting gates and the king of glory will come in. It's talking about communication between heaven and earth. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, let me give you an example. You have, you have five out of ten versions in the parable in Matthew 25 when, watch this, five of them got in the door and then five of them got locked out of a door. You think about Noah's ark, which is a picture of salvation. It had a door. And God shut that door. The people that were going to get saved got in the ark, and then the door got shut, and there were people who got locked out of the ark. Are you with me so far? Stay with me. I'm going somewhere. Amen. Hallelujah. When you think about the veil in the tabernacle, the veil in the tabernacle served as a door or an entryway. Uh, it, it represented, watch this, uh, the division between heaven and earth. There was something that was dividing it. Amen. Uh, before Jesus tore that veil, we didn't have access. Amen, somebody. But thanks be unto God. Amen. You know, when you think about the garden after man's sin, they got kicked out of the garden, and then there was an angel placed at the entry place by the gate. Are you hearing me? So that the man could not come back in and eat of the tree of life after he had already partaken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil are you catching my drift so far in this place amen somebody so watch this on another occasion jesus himself said i am the door i am the door hallelujah if anybody comes through me 
they are going to be saved, hallelujah. But if you try to come in any other way other than me, that person is a thief and a robber. There is only one way that leads to God, and that way is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody. Hallelujah. So they're not, they're away with this foolishness that there are many paths that lead to God. There is only one way. Amen. I know it. People don't like it because it's exclusive, but that's the God that I serve. He's, he's exclusive. Amen, somebody. Hallelujah. And then, listen, we come to this fish gate. Amen. I'm going to concentrate on these two, but I want to give them to you very quickly. We get to the fish gate. Hallelujah. And this, this, this particular gate is where the merchants used. Uh, this gate is the one that merchants used to, to bring the fish uh, from the Mediterranean Sea. And there may have been, many scholars believe, a fish market nearby or near this gate. Amen. This was the key entrance to the city. Now, this gate speaks of service for the people. Service for the people. Amen. When Jesus called his disciples, watch this, he told them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Amen. This, this verse is talking to us about how Christ saves souls so that those souls can save souls. This verse talks to us about how Christ saves our soul so that we can become soul winners for Jesus. In other words, after we get saved through the sheep gate, we get called into service. I want you to know because what you're going to see that is pretty amazing is the order of these gates. You get saved first, and then you come into service. Amen? He doesn't put service before getting saved. Hallelujah. So you wouldn't make the mistake that you have to uh, come to Jesus through works. Are you following what I'm saying in this place? So he makes sure he gets the order right for us. And he says, you get saved first. And then from a place of salvation, you do good works from salvation. You don't do good works for salvation. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Hallelujah. In other words, I don't, I don't do to become. I become and then therefore I do. Are you in this place, church? Hallelujah. If you're blessed in here, shout glory. In other words, you need to understand that good works are the fruit of salvation, not the root of salvation. I said good works are the fruit of salvation, not the root of salvation. Amen. If we're talking about the root, we're talking about grace through faith. Amen. You are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. Amen. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You're not going to be able to take credit for your salvation. That's a work that Jesus did all by himself. You accept it by faith, amen, and you move from that place forward. If you're blessed in here so far, shout glory. Amen. So my prayer is that none of us in the room are trusting in good works to be saved. But our good works are a fruit that just confirm the fact that we are saved. Uh, amen. Hallelujah. Are you blessed in here? And that same God who saves us calls us into service. Now, but I want you to really notice the fact, hallelujah, that service comes after salvation. 
Service comes after salvation. I'm a little concerned, hallelujah, that many people have not understood the grace of God. Have not understood the power of God's grace. And so I'm going to take a little time, hallelujah, and, and talk to you about that because I really believe that that's the focus of these two gates. Are you following me in this place so far? Amen. And so I want to give you my first point. I only got three for you today, so watch out now. <laughs> Amen. But don't get happy too soon. Watch this. The first point is simply this, and I want you to hear me. God will not accept the person you are pretending to be. I said, God will not accept the person you are pretending to be. If a lot of us in here were honest, we would admit that we come from a background or perhaps we come from a church that one of the first things they taught us was hypocrisy. Oh, yeah, I know a lot of people ain't going to like me today, but I, I'm going to go there. One of the first things we learned was hypocrisy. Because as soon as we got there, the first thing they taught us was what they were and were not going to accept. I said what they were and what they were not going to accept. Hallelujah. And then after making us get up under all of this religious uh, outerwear, this religious garments, hallelujah, where we watched this, uh, just got saved, didn't really know what to do, so we watched our neighbor, saw what our neighbors were doing, and figured let's do what our neighbors were doing regardless of who we were. Uh-oh. And then we called it spirituality. Are you blessed in here? And so the thing I love about the grace of God is that the first thing the grace of God comes to do is to unmask us. I said it comes immediately to unmask us. It comes to remove the veil. If you were here a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the veil over Moses' face, you know, how he, he went up to the mountain, spoke to God, would come back with the reflection of the glory on his face, and he wore a veil. Later on, the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, read it for yourself, amen, lets us know that part of the reason he was covering his face was because, watch this, the glory of that old covenant the law was fading away and there was a greater glory that was coming and we learned hallelujah in second corinthians chapter 3 that watch this that veil was lifted in christ see this is why this is why god has to take a man named saul who later becomes paul who is entrenched in the law and before he can use him greatly, has to take him down a road called Damascus. And sometimes God has to take you down that road to demask us. Here, here, here. To demask us before he can use us greatly. If you're in this place, shout glory. Ooh. And so if you're in this place, hallelujah, and you're no longer wearing a mask, you should give him praise. I ain't no pretender. Amen, somebody. Now, let me ask you guys a question in here. I, I want to try to really illustrate this for you and paint you a couple of pictures today. Uh, how many of you have ever had the, 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 the privilege of uh, getting on a large ship, a cruise ship? Maybe you take a cruise, amen? Uh, I've had the honor to, to take about two cruises, amen? I've enjoyed them very much. One of the things that's a little intimidating to me is the size 
of this ship. I remember arriving at the port and looking at this particular ship that I was about to embark on and go, oh my God, that thing is huge, right? And I remember thinking to myself, how is it, how is it possible that something so massive, so heavy, something that can hold anywhere between four and 6,000 people float on water? And I don't know, you know, because I'm, I'm a little crazy, amen? But I remember, like, like you, you ever stand before it or look or get close? You know, if you took a coin and you just tossed a coin in the water, you know what happened to that coin? The coin will sink. And the, and the coin don't weigh anything. But this huge ship floats. And I'm about to get on this thing that is so heavy that's going to hold so many people along with so much equipment and I'm going to take it to the middle of nowhere and that thing is going to uphold me. And so I begin to ask myself the question, how in the world does this thing float and the coin sinks? And here it is. I'm not going to get too deep into it, but you go ahead and study it for yourself. It's a two-word process. It's called water displacement. Water displacement. Watch this. It happens because the large cruise ship has mass and the coin has absolutely no mass. So watch this. The mass causes the water, which is programmed by God. It's amazing. The, the mass causes the water, which is programmed by God, to calculate, watch this, the size of the ship. The water measures the size of the ship through water displacement. In other words, when the ship gets in the water, the water, watch this, through water displacement, moves out of the way. And the ship, when it first goes in, or they first put it in, begins to sink. Amen? Watch this, and it sinks for a little while, and then all of a sudden, the water comes back. When the water comes back, it puts pressure on the ship, bringing the ship back up to make it float. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? Watch this. I want to submit to you, hallelujah, that you, if you're ever ministering to, ministering to anybody who has been entrenched in religion, as soon as you start preaching that heavy word of grace, that massive word of grace, watch this. The first thing that that's going to happen is that they're going to get very uncomfortable. They're going to get uncomfortable. Watch this because when that heavy word comes, it's going to cause them to start sinking. You don't hear me. It's going to cause them to start sinking, and they don't like the way sinking feels. All right, all right, all right, all right. How many of you in this place know how to swim? Now show me your hands. You know how to swim. All right. If you're in this place, don't be shy, and don't be scared to admit it. You don't know how to swim. Amen, 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 amen. Now, if you've ever had, if you've ever gone to take classes... On learning how to swim one of the first things they'll do watch this is put you in water that you can stand in stay with me they'll put you in water that you can stand in and the first thing they'll teach you watch this is to learn how to float they want to teach you to learn how to float just in case in the future you're swimming and you get tired and you really ain't gonna make it to your destination because you're so tired you can just go ahead and Lay on your back and float for a little while 
catch your breath, and then continue on your little mission. Amen, somebody, right? But if you're in here and if you've ever had to take swimming classes, you know that's easier said than done. So watch this. What, what most people will do, watch this. Oh, baby. What most people will do, watch this, is this. The instructor will tell them, all right, now, let yourself go. And then that person will, will go back just a little bit, feel that water on the back of their head. They start to panic. And they stand up in the water because, remember, it's water that you can stand in. Amen, somebody. And then, and then the instructor will say, all right, well, we're going to have to try that again, okay? Just let yourself go. And so the person goes back, lets themselves go a little bit. That water gets up in their ear. They start to panic right away. And they get back up in that water that they can stand in. Hallelujah. And the instructor is telling them, listen, you got to let go. Let it go. God help me in this place. Hallelujah. Ah, watch this. You are not going to sink. Watch this. The water won't let you. This water will hold you up. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. You will not sink. And so are you ready? And the person's like, nah, I can't. I'm not ready. And the, and the instructor's like, look at me. He said, nah, I ain't looking at you. I don't even know you that good. I, I don't even trust you, to be honest. I know you're trained and everything, but watch this now. The instructor looks at the, at the individual and says this, don't trust me, trust the water. Don't trust me, trust the water. You cannot sink. The water is going to measure you and bring you back. This is why, have you ever noticed when you watch a movie, and you know, this is a little gory, but when you watch a movie and somebody gets shot and falls in water and they die, what happens to that body in the water? It floats. You know why it rises? Do you know why it floats? Because it stopped fighting. While you're panicking and while you're fighting against it, you're going down. <laughs> Amen. But notice what happens the minute there is no more fight. The water will not let you sink. I want to submit to you that that is the power of the grace of God. I said that is the power of the grace of God. And as long as you kick against it, you're going down. Because that law ain't going to make you float. That law will help you go down. Are you hearing what I'm saying in here? But if you ever stop fighting against it, uh, it will hold you up. And here's the amazing thing. When you're, when you're learning how to swim, once you do finally let go and realize that that water won't let you sink, you know what the teacher does next or the instructor? Or the instructor uh, while you're floating, he pushes you into deeper waters. I said, he pushes you into deeper waters. You're not going to go deeper if you don't learn how to flow. Are you following what I'm saying in this place? Amen. And at that point, when you're in the deep, now you have to remember that you're not, that you're, that you no longer can stand on what you used to stand on. 
God help me in here. I said, you no longer could stand. Remember, before it was water, you can stand in. You had control, hallelujah. Now, hallelujah, as you enter the deeper waters, you no longer could stand on what you used to stand on. God, I'm preaching better than you saying amen. And now, hallelujah, you better not panic because you at a whole other level now. Are you in this place, church? Hallelujah, Jesus. Show me Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 9. I'm going to read 9 through 14 for you. You guys doing all right? Matthew chapter 9. I'm using Nehemiah as a backdrop. Hallelujah. That's why I said I wasn't going to strain the text. But those two gates really represent, hallelujah, the message of grace. Now, watch this. Matthew 9. 9 through 14, listen to what it says. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at, at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. You know Jesus got power if you just left. Anyway, just. later Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples. Listen to this. Later Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors and other disreputable. We're going to examine that word in a minute. This is why I'm reading it in the NLT on purpose, the New Living Translation. Disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples. They didn't go to Jesus. They went to Jesus' disciples. Because that's usually what people do. They rarely go to the source. God, help me in here. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such? That's the Bible. So if it's the Bible, I can say it. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. You notice in the text, hallelujah, he goes on to tell them, hallelujah, uh, you need to learn this. It's all right. You need to learn this. And he's, he's talking to learned people. That's what's amazing to me about the text. He's talking to learned men. These Pharisees are supposed to be learned. And Jesus says, you learned people still need to learn. <laughs> are you following what I'm saying in here? Now, here's what's powerful about the text. When the text is talking about these tax collectors, you have to understand that these tax collectors work for Rome. So because they work for Rome already, hallelujah, the, the, the Jewish community dislikes them. Not only do they work for Rome, they were exacting heavy taxes. In other words, they were taking more than they were supposed to take. Are you with me so far? In this place, in this place, hallelujah. Uh, so what, what I noticed right away is that the Pharisees have a problem with who Jesus calls. Because notice who Jesus is calling here. He's, he's, he, the, 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 the text particularly mentions a man named Matthew. Matthew is a tax collector. Watch this. When the text says disreputable, do you know what disreputable means? Disreputable means you have a reputation. So watch this. You're the kind of sinner that is known for your reputation. You have a reputation because your sin is known. Are you following what I'm saying? 
And so the Pharisees have a problem with Jesus calling a man who has a reputation for being known by his sin. Ooh. And Jesus is sitting after being invited by this sinner to his house along with a bunch of other sinners. And Jesus accepts the invitation. And Jesus goes. And Jesus is there. And the Pharisees have a problem with who Jesus calls. But Jesus said, but I didn't come for the good. I, I didn't come, God help me in here, for good people. You know what he's really telling the religious people? Stop pretending to be good. He's telling, watch this, let me give you the Bible. For there is none that is good. No, not one. So watch this. I didn't come for the good. Stop pretending that you are good. Ain't nobody that good. Look at somebody real quick and say, you ain't that good. Hallelujah, Jesus. So, so let me submit to you. Let me submit to you that Jesus, I'm going to help you. I'm going to try to help you anyway. Jesus doesn't love you because you are good. Uh, you missed a good place to shout right there. I said, Jesus doesn't love you because you are good. Oh, God. God loves the Jesus in you. I said, God loves the Jesus in you. Hallelujah. And God loves the plan. He is working out through you. But God does not love you because you're good. And you ought to be happy because... Let me, let me give you another example of what I'm talking about in here. If, if you are drowning, amen, let's, let's continue the water analogy. If you are drowning, amen, and all of a sudden a boat sees you, right? Thank God. And the boat sees you in the water drowning and throws you a lifeguard, you know, a lifesaver, right? And that's God's, listen, here's what you have to understand. That's God's mercy reaching out to you. That's God's mercy coming to where you are. You know, you're in that water. You know, chances are you deserve to drown. Somebody left you there because of something you did. You know, yeah, you watch enough movies. You, somebody <laughs> set you up, threw you in the water, and left you there, right? But let's just, let's just say you deserve, you deserve to drown. Here comes this boat and throws you a lifeguard. That's mercy. You know, a, a life preserver. That's that's mercy. That's, that's you, watch this, not getting what you deserve. Amen? Now imagine that they, 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 they take you into the boat, but that's not enough, right? Uh, not only did they take you into the boat, they help you, right? And then they take you onto the shore, amen, and drive you to the hospital, right? Where people in the, and tell the people in the hospital to care for you. Here's what you have to understand about that. When, when the life preserver is tossed towards you, that's the mercy of God. Amen? Hallelujah. When that mercy of God pulls you in, it introduces you to the grace of God. Where all of a sudden you get that extra treatment. It's when you get what you don't deserve. 
Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. God, help me in here. Let me give you the Bible on that. You know the story of the Good Samaritan? The reason they call him the Good Samaritan, watch this, is because before he gets there, the others just passed him by, right? Uh, they passed him by. And, and he, remember, these are the ones that think they're good. The priests. Amen. Anyway, this, the Samaritan gets there and he sees him in, in a pit. He goes down there. He pulls him out of the pit. That's mercy. That's mercy. But if that's not enough, he bandages up his wounds, amen, and then takes him to an inn and then tells the owner of the inn, take care of him while I'm gone. And when I return, if I owe you anything else, I'll give it to you. That's grace. Now, now, now here's what I want you to catch. It's going to hit somebody like a ton of bricks in just a moment. Amen. Hallelujah. Watch this. If, if Jesus did not intend on taking care of you, why save you? I wanted to register. Hallelujah. You, you follow what I'm saying? Because God's not going to show mercy to anybody he's not planning on being gracious to. God, help me in here. Hallelujah. And so do you, do you follow what I'm saying in here? If God showed you mercy at one point, hallelujah, it's because it's his intention to take care of you. As a matter of fact, that's the reason he showed you mercy in the first place. Oh my God, if you could ever catch that, you would stop over worrying about all the stuff you're worrying about. The reason, hallelujah, he showed you mercy is because he intends on taking care of you. I wish I had a church in here that would believe it. Woo. Mercy hands you over to the custody of grace. And the job of grace is to now develop you. Are you following what I'm saying in this place? Repeat this word after me. Justification. Justification. Amen. Repeat this one after me. Sanctification. Sanctification. And now repeat this one. Glorification. Glorification. Wow, Pastor, you're getting into theology. Listen, you better know your theology. Are you following what I'm saying? Can I just submit to you, hallelujah, that justification is what happens to you the moment you believe? I said justification is what happens to you the moment you believe. The Bible says you are justified. Uh, what that means is, hallelujah, that all of a sudden you go from being a sinner, watch this, to being, uh, to being someone, hallelujah, who is in right standing with God to the point where it's just like it hasn't happened. That's what justification means. If you want a, uh, a simple interpretation, it means just like if it never happened. That's justification. Amen. That happens to an individual when he believes. Amen. Now, the last one, glory. Now, understand, justification happens in a moment. What moment? The moment you believe. Now, let's go to the last one for a second. Glorification. Glorification also happens in a moment when you see him. Did you hear what I just said? Glorification happens in a moment also when you stand before him. When you see him, amen? Oh, it's coming, church. Watch this now. Sanctification does not happen in a moment. Sanctification takes all of your 
life. I said it takes all of your life. You'll hear the scripture say stuff like you're sanctified, but what it means is you're sanctified and being sanctified. In other words, it begins, but it's a process that takes all of your life. Another word for sanctification is holiness. In other words, what it's saying is that holiness is worked in you from the moment you believe to the moment you stand before him and see him. That's sanctification. Are you in this place? Hallelujah. Because listen, you need to be prepared to defend this gospel. Because when you start preaching the gospel, the gospel of grace, that message will be challenged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would dare say, I would dare say that in the last days, hallelujah, our greatest enemy will not necessarily be a devil, but religion. You think about religion and how much damage religion has caused, hallelujah. I want to submit to you that Jesus Christ was not religious. Ay, ay, ay. Amen, somebody. And so understand that the religious will attack you. They'll attack you. They'll attack your church. They'll say stuff like, that church is liberal. I'm telling you. They'll say, that pastor is liberal. Are you following? And if you don't know your theology, you won't be able to defend it. Are you following me in this place? Hallelujah. Ooh, this is what the Pharisees said about Jesus in the text. Are you hearing what I'm saying? They said, watch this. No way this man can be right with God. Because if this man was right with God, he wouldn't be surrounded by all this scum. That's the text. Are you following what I'm saying? Mm. So they're, saying, they're determining whether Jesus is right by the people he is around. Are you with me? Hallelujah. But well, let me, let, let's, 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 let's talk about some of these people that Jesus was around. All right. Here's what I know. Peter cussed. He cussed. Amen. He got so frustrated on one, on one occasion that, you know, he cussed. This is Peter. Uh, James and John were known as the sons of thunder because they had a hard time controlling their anger. And on some occasions wanted to bring fire down from heaven on people. And Jesus looked at them and said, from what spirit are you? That ain't my spirit. And it was because some people were talking about Jesus, but they were doing it incorrectly. So they say, hey, because it's incorrect, let us go over there and call fire down from heaven and consume them. And Jesus said, listen, if they're not against me, they are for me. Leave them alone. Amen. What spirit are you from? So watch this. That, that's, that's James and John. Amen. Uh, Simon or Simeon, I forget his name, uh, was considered a zealot. A zealot meaning he was a disciple by day and a terrorist by night. Are you hearing me in here? Thomas doubted. Judas was a betrayer and Jesus knew it. So, so, so here's what I want you to see. I want you to see who Jesus calls. Oh, God have mercy in here. I didn't come for the good. So watch this, he's walking around with 12 outcasts, 12 misfits. Are you hearing what I'm saying? For three and a half years, 
and he's taking invitations by publicans and tax collectors, and he's sitting down and eating with these people. Hallelujah. In other words, the picture of Jesus sitting with these people is saying something to us. He's saying, watch this, just because I'm around people who need the grace of God does not mean I'm living in sin. Oh, you didn't hear what I just said. Just because, just because I'm around people who need the grace of God does not mean that I am living in sin. You know Jesus did not sin, hallelujah. So the very fact that he's around these people, hallelujah, does not make him a sinner. He came for those people. I was one of those people. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad he got close to me. Hallelujah. Ooh. Are you blessed in here? I mentioned a moment ago that when you have a reputation, what that means is that you're known for your sin. Amen. You don't have to shout amen, but some of us are still being talked about today. Because of stuff we did in the past. Ain't nobody saying amen. Everybody giggling. Nobody saying amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Watch this. Let me say something else in here. Just because another person's process of sanctification is taking much longer than your process does not mean God's not working on them. God, help me in here. God is working on that person too. Amen. I don't know who deputized you. To determine whether that person, hallelujah, is worthy of the grace of God or not. Amen. That's not for you to decide. Can I give you my next point in here? We're getting there. Let me get number two. You ready? All right. People who are afraid of reproach will never sacrifice their own reputation. Now, I'm going to qualify that in a minute because I could already tell. I got you thinking because I didn't get one amen right there. People who are afraid of reproach will never sacrifice their own reputation. Amen. Show me Mark 2 and verse 15. Mark 2 and verse number 15. I'm going to show you the same story in the book of Mark. Amen. Hallelujah. Mark chapter 2 and verse number 15. Now, later Levi, Levi is another name for Matthew. Okay. Later Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. I want you to read this now. I like Mark's. Along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Now, look at the quotations. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Amen. Can I submit something to you? Jesus rarely delivered from a distance. I can't even think of a time off the top of my head of when he delivered by distance. He was the type that delivered from closeness. This is why he came down. God, help me. I'm sure if he wanted to, he could have delivered us from heaven. But that's not how he did it. 
he came down and he got close because he likes to deliver from close amen because deliverance is always a matter of what you are close to i said it is always a matter and can i the enemy loves religion i said the enemy loves religion he loves to use religion because religion will create a wedge religion creates distance between the person that needs deliverance and the man that's anointed to deliver so that, watch this, they're never close enough to experience a miracle. And so, watch this, the enemy will get in the way and push you back to try and get you to protect your reputation. Will push you back through religion so that you can protect your reputation. Watch this, hallelujah. And if you're not willing to get close enough to allow people to talk about you, then you are not dead enough to be used of God for deliverance or for setting anybody free because you won't get close enough because you won't sacrifice your reputation. You too concerned with what somebody might say if you get too close to somebody who needs to be delivered. You'll be too concerned with the Pharisee that says, if he knew what manner of woman this was, he would not let her touch his feet. But he knew exactly the kind of woman that she was. She was the kind of woman that needed to be set free. And so he got close to her and he wasn't afraid to do it. At the expense of having people call him names. This is why the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 verses somewhere on verses 7 through 9. Hallelujah. That he made of himself no reputation. But came in the appearance of man. Some regular individual. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Ooh, but some people can't be used greatly. Because they're too busy protecting. Somebody shout religion. Ooh, we are so afraid of reproach. We won't sacrifice our own reputation. Oh, you're not hearing me. Watch this. And so what, what happens is, watch this. We minister from our ego. All right. Let me put it to you another way. We minister for a reputation. I said we minister for a reputation rather than making of ourselves no reputation. If you're blessed in here, shout glory. Watch this. Did they talk about Jesus? Oh, yes. They called they call Jesus a lover of sinners. They called Jesus, Jesus a wine-bibber. Because they figured if he was there and they were doing it, that he was doing it too. But he was not. Are, are, but are you following what I'm saying in this place? They called him. On one occasion, they said, you are possessed. They told Jesus, you possessed. Where does it say that? Okay. It's, the Bible says, watch this, that he cast out devils by devils. You cast out devils because you got devils. So, so they were saying that Jesus was possessed. 
Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? Because he got close enough to people who were possessed, touched them, and demons came coming out. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? And if you get next to people that need to be delivered, religious folk will talk about you. Mm, are you blessed in here? God have mercy in this place. Hallelujah. Whew. My God. He was called all kinds of things because he got close to the unclean and he delivered them. Amen. You, I, there's a lot of people trying to deliver people on social media, but a lot of times it don't work. You want to know why? Because you don't get close enough. We live in a generation right now that don't like to get close. Anti-social. That's why they don't mind getting on social media. Because we're not close. And they call people friends who are not close. Are you hearing me in here? Oh, God. Hallelujah. Let me give you some. Listen, the religious love ministering to the clean. I mean, that's the whole problem. They have a problem with Jesus because he's ministering to the unclean. But he said, that's why I came. I didn't come for the healthy. So why is it that religious folk like to minister to those who think they're clean? Oh, God, have mercy in here. Let me give you another illustration because I, I, I feel very visual today. Watch this. Let me give you another. Have you ever gone into a place? Let's just say you were at a place, hallelujah, and you, and you, I'm going to be just like really real right now. You really had to go, right? You had to go. You're at the beach or you're at a particular place, hallelujah, where you have to go, right? And you, you, can't, you can't wait till you get to the car and get home. You have to go, right? So you use the public place, right? Use the public place only to find that when you go in that place, it is filthy, Anybody in here know what I'm talking about? I mean filthy. I mean so bad that, that the stuff's not just around, you know, the urinal or, or the toilets. The stuff is on the walls. I'm talking about, you, you guys got the visual, right? I don't need to keep on. All right. So, so, so the place is filthy, right? When you enter that place, what happens? You want to come out. You want to leave. You just want to turn around. You go in there, you go, and you want to come out. Come on, somebody. But you really got to go. You really got to go. So you decide, I'm going to go real quick. It's, it's, I, I got to do what I got to do. I'm going to go real quick, right? You wash your hands. I mean, you, you're so wanting to get out of there. You, you dry your hands and you throw the paper on the floor. You don't care because the place is filthy. I heard a man of God testifying, hallelujah, that he went into one of these places. And while he was trying to get out of there really fast, the spirit of the Lord spoke to him. And told him, watch this, hallelujah. Why are you in a rush? And he was like, uh... <laughs> Hello. And the Spirit of God told him, this is, why I, this is what I love. This is why I came. This is a picture of the world. 
Why are you running away from them? Watch this, watch this, watch this. Because, watch this, because if you treat them like a throwaway, they'll live like a throwaway. And they'll believe they are a throwaway. And won't consider themselves valuable. This is what I died for. Don't rush on away from them. Clean it up. And he was getting ready to leave the bathroom say, God, I got the analogy. And the Spirit of the Lord said, no, clean it up. And here he was cleaning, this was his testimony, cleaning a public bathroom that was filthy because God used it as an analogy of the people he loves and the people he sat with, the people he ate with. God, help me in here. He said, I was never in a rush. And I wasn't afraid to get closer. See, I'm looking for a church that's not scared to touch lepers. You didn't hear what I said in here. I said, I'm looking for a church that's not afraid to touch lepers. Religious people see a leper coming, and if he don't alert them, that religious person will let everybody know. Leper, 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 and he will expose that person. Leper! Not Jesus. That person will keep his distance and tell everybody how filthy that individual is and expose them. But Jesus will walk all the way up to him and touch him and heal him. Ooh, that's who Jesus came for. Ah, do I got a church in here? Hallelujah. Mm. You know what Jesus said? Hallelujah. Jesus called us his heritage. He called us his inheritance. You know what he was saying? He was saying, you are what I got for my sacrifice. And people are calling me names for what I got. Are you hearing what I'm saying? They call and they will continue to call the Lord's heritage scum. Are you blessed in here? Hallelujah. And religious people will hate your church because your church loves the unclean. And is not afraid while others don't let the unclean in because your church is not afraid to let them in. The religious will hate your church. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Hallelujah. And so you hear somebody say something about your church, you need, you need to know your theology so that you can deal with that religious spirit. Amen, somebody. Amen. Hallelujah. I got 13 minutes. I'm doing all right. I'm almost there, church. I promise. Watch this. Sometimes we hide our struggles behind gifts and callings. I said, something, yeah, we, act, we act so cute in church, like none of us are struggling in here right now. Sometimes we hide our struggle through gifts 
and callings. And for the most part, the reason we do that, watch me now, is because we are afraid. But people who have received grace prove it by giving grace. And if you're in here and you don't know how to give grace, you don't really believe you received it. And there's still a little religion. I know you don't like it, but I'm coming. There's still a little bit of religion in you. Amen, somebody. Woo. One of the things that I love about God is that God don't ask you for something until you fully know. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Until you fully know what he did for you. God doesn't ask you for something until you fully know what he has done for you and what he has given you. It's amazing to me. If you ever studied the book of Romans, the book of Romans is a big grace book. You know, it, you, you want to find theology on grace, you got to read the book of Romans along with the book of Galatians. Amen. Uh, those two books, especially the book of Romans. A lot of people, even religious folks, hallelujah, when they, when they want to go to the book of Romans, they only go to one place. Romans 12. Present your body. A living sacrifice. You got to present your body. A living sacrifice. You got to die. You got to put your flesh on the altar and you got to die. I believe uh, for the most part the church has done a great job on telling us how to die. But I'm a little concerned that the church has not done a good job telling us how to live. And the apostle Paul said, watch this, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. So don't only tell me how to die, tell me how to live. Are you in this place? Hallelujah. Present your body. That's chapter 12. But if you read chapters 1, 2, and 3, he focuses on what he did for you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When you get to 4, 5, and 6, he starts talking to you about promises he has for you. And it continues on all the way until chapter 11. And so watch this, after you have had a healthy dose, and now that you've come to a very good place in understanding what I've done for you, now I'm going to ask you for something. But you can't go straight to 12. God have mercy in here. Are you blessed in here, church? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Watch this. I wish I had time. I'm running out of time. I was going to talk a little bit about righteousness. Amen. Can I just submit to you that righteousness is not an act? That'll mess somebody up right there. Righteousness is not an act. Amen. If you ever broke down the word righteousness, amen, uh, the first part of the word is the word in the Greek, dike, D-I-K-E. Amen. And what it means is right standing with God. That's where we get the right. Are you hearing me? It's, it means right standing Watch this, with God, amen, or proper authority. Right, I am in, if I'm righteous, I am in right standing with the proper authority, or I am in right standing with God. The last part of that word, DK, is DK Asuni, right? That, that last part, Asuni, is what they refer to as an abstraction. Now, that's a little deep, amen, but an abstraction, to make it really simple, is something you cannot do. So watch, watch, watch. I'm in, if I'm righteous, I'm in right standing with God, hallelujah, 
which is something I could not do. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? In other words, there is a righteousness that exists that you need, you don't have, and only God can give. Are you following me in here? God, help me. Show me Isaiah 54 and verse 17. Isaiah 54 and verse 17. I'm getting there. Isaiah 54 and verse number 17. You guys doing all right? All right. Hallelujah. Isaiah 54 and verse 17. There it is. Uh, there it goes. Amen. Jesus is coming. It's coming. But in that coming day, as a matter of fact, can I get it? I'm sorry. Can I get it in the King James Version? I'm all over the place in versions today. Amen. I started out with the NLT. I need it in the... Ah, oh, there you go. No weapon that is formed against thee, we like that, right? Shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is... Hear me now. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me. Not of them. Their righteousness is of me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all whose righteousness? His righteousness. Not your righteousness. His righteousness. There is a righteousness I have that's not my own. I'm in right standing with God and I didn't do it. God help me. In here, it's his righteousness imputed unto me. Are you blessed in here, church? Ooh. Mm, 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 mm. Amen, somebody. Amen. Hallelujah. Only he could do it. You're not that good. Okay. How many in here? No, I don't want to say that. I don't want to. No hands. If you're in this place... And you don't have a criminal record. Right? That doesn't mean you never did anything bad. God, help me in here. Just because you never had charges. Doesn't mean you ain't act before at some point. At some time and do something crazy. If you are in right standing, trust me. It's not because of you. Matter of fact, he cleared my record. <laughs> Whatever you did before you gave your life to him, I don't know how long, I know how long my rap sheet was. I don't know how long your, you would have unfolded mine. It would have went to the back of the church, out the front door, and down the street. Hallelujah. But when Jesus said, now... Though my sins were as red as crimson, he washed me white as snow. Ah, do I got anybody in this place that can give God a praise, hallelujah, for Jesus making you clean. Woo. How many of you, I'm almost done. How many of you in here understand that we are born into sin? Amen. Because of Adam, we are born into sin. The, the, the tainted blood of Adam is transferred from generation to generation. And because of that, and we can't just get mad at Adam. You would have did it too. The Bible's clear. Even in the New Testament, when we had another opportunity, Jesus or Barabbas? 
Righteousness or wickedness? We chose Barabbas. So don't, don't hold Adam accountable. Amen. Don't think you're going to see him when you get to heaven. You might see him, but you ain't going to be able to do nothing to him. Are you hearing what I'm saying in here? But it is safe to say that because of Adam, we are born into sin. And so here's what I want to tell you. I really want to pick your brain. Watch this. If you can believe that you are, a bo that you are born a sinner before you do anything wrong, listen to me. If you can believe what I just said and believe that you are born a sinner before you do anything wrong, then now that you are born again and have righteousness, you have to believe that you are right even before you do anything right. God help me. Why? Because we fell in Adam, but we got up in Jesus. Uh, God, are you in this place? Mm, there's a righteousness that only God has. Amen. And you can't get it on your own unless God gives it to you as a gift. That's why the Bible says somewhere in, in, in Romans 5 that we received, watch this, the gift of righteousness and an abundance of grace. Abundance. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen, somebody. Whew, I got to jump around. Because I'm running out of time really fast. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, I'm going to skip that. We no longer live. I was going to talk about the old covenant, but I don't have enough time. I got three minutes and 50 seconds. And I'm trying to make good on time. Amen. And so I was going to talk about that old covenant. But if you ever go to Hebrews 8 and 13, you find out, hallelujah, that that old covenant is out of date. It's out of date. And we have entered into a new covenant but the bible refers to as a better covenant watch this now with better promises amen hallelujah and i don't know about you but that's good news i can't get right with him he made me right i said i can't get right with him people are always talking about you need to get right you can't get right with him you need to get right with god you cannot get right with god he makes you right with him. I, I'm going I'm to I'm come, come to church, Pastor. I'm going to come when I get right. You cannot get right on your own. That's like saying, I'll jump in that pool when I learn how to swim. How are you going to learn how to swim if you don't jump in the pool? When I get right, I would... Just come as you are. Amen. He will make you right. I got to close. Do I got any prayer warriors in the house? Any prayer warriors? Any prayer warriors in the house? Amen. Let me say something here. If prayer gives you a headache, it's because you're working hard to be heard. If prayer gives you a headache, it's because you're working to be heard. You have not understood who you are. You're a son. And if you're a son, you have a dad. And your dad is eagerly wanting to hear from you. You don't got to work to be heard and you don't got to beg. If you're a son, God, help me in here. Sons don't beg. They ask because they're sons. Oh, man. I, I didn't want to open that up. Hallelujah. 
Watch this. Let me give you, I I wish I had more time. I got a minute and 40 seconds. I want to give you the process. Here's the process very quickly. If you're writing anything, write this down. Here's the process. You go first from believing. That's how it starts. Amen. From believing. From believing, you go to being. Hear me. From believing to being. From being to becoming. Watch this. And from becoming, then we deal with your behavior. Let me read, let me read it one more time. We go from believing first, from believing to being. Okay? I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. To becoming more and more like him. Right? Transformed into the image of Jesus. And then we work on behavior. The problem with religion is that they want you to behave right, right after you believe. Not understanding that that's a process. So from believing, they go, you got to behave. And the pressure to behave makes us walk around in church acting. Like everything's all right. Dressing. Like everything is all right. Oh, y'all not saying nothing in here. Hallelujah. And if you teach somebody how to lie when they're young, they're only going to lie better when they're old. God, help me in here. Walking around church with a mask. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There are things that love will do that condemnation could never do. Oh, I I know, I know. Somebody's watching me and kicking right where they sit. Hallelujah. But there are things love will do that condemnation will never do. Did you know that condemnation is actually the last part of the judgment process? I mean, the last part of the judgment process is condemnation. Amen, somebody. But I'm here to tell you that my Bible says mercy triumphs over judgment. Hallelujah. Are you in this place? And what we end up doing to these people is that we turn them into judges themselves. Listen, and I'm going to submit to you. And I'm going to be bold to say this. Hallelujah. Most people that are judging other people are ashamed of their own life. Most people who are judging other people are ashamed of their own life. Oh, God. Are you in this place? Hallelujah. Oh, you know, I got to close. I'm out of time. Let me see if I can bring this up a little bit so we can leave with a smile on our face. Amen. You know, I've heard people say stuff like this. I've heard people say stuff like this. Look at her. She's dressed like the world. Watch this now. I want to ask that person like immediately. Where do you buy your clothes? You buy your clothes in Jupiter, Saturn, Venus. She looked like the world. Last time I checked, you got your clothes. From the world. Are you, and you know, you, they'll tell you, I, I don't mean that. I mean something else, you know. 
I, I, when I first started preaching, I was invited to small per, some, some small churches to preach, amen, that were really strict, really rigid. And, and, and I went, hallelujah, because God told me to go, amen. And I remember going to a church once, and they told me, oh, yeah, you can't preach unless you shave. And I didn't even have this much hair on my face back then. You, you, you have to shave. We have a bathroom. We'll get you a blade. And, and, you, and you know, for the sake of people receiving the word, I, I humbled myself, and I did it. But my first thought was, Jesus had a beard? <laughs> I mean, my Bible says they ripped out. He didn't just have a beard. He had the ones they're using now. <laughs> because you got to be able to grab that thing in order to rip it off. And it was the Pharisees that ripped it off. Because only religious people. Are you hearing what I'm saying in here? Think Jesus stepped down from heaven to earth 42 plus generations to establish a dress code? Come on. Hallelujah. I will submit to you. Can I be honest in here? When I abandoned, because I got caught up in that thing first when I got saved, because I didn't know no better. When I abandoned that nonsense, my anointing increased. Do you hear what I just said? Oh, God, help me in here. Because grace is an empowerment. Amen, somebody. I'll close with this. Exodus 28 and 36, and I'm closing. Exodus 28 and 36. I just want to read this. Put my third point up there before you put the text on. Put my third point, because I got to give it to you. I don't want to not give you my third point. Your high priest put on your guilt so that you can be accepted. And that's just a truth statement. Your high priest put on your guilt so that you can be accepted. Now give me the text. Watch this. This is when God was challenging Aaron and the priesthood on how to wear their garments. Amen? Watch this. Next, make a medallion of pure gold and engrave it like a seal with these words, holy to the Lord. Attach the medallion with a blue cord to the front of Aaron's turban where it must remain. Aaron must wear it on his forehead so he may take on himself, watch this, so that he may take on himself, Aaron being the high priest, because you had priests, but only the high priest could go into the holies of holies with the blood of the sacrifice on behalf of all the people. Listen to what it says. Aaron must wear it on his forehead so he may take on himself any guilt of the people of Israel when they consecrate their sacred offerings. He must always wear it on his forehead so the Lord will accept the people. Now what I want you to catch about that, hallelujah, is it does not say that the Lord accepted the people because of their behavior. It said the Lord accepted the people because of the high priest's obedience. The Bible says we have a high priest in Jesus who obeyed unto death and because of what Jesus did all my guilt, all my shame, 
is gone. And I'm accepted, not because I was so good, but because my high priest is so good. And so when Jesus went up into heavens and entered that heavenly tabernacle, that Moses' tabernacle was just a shadow of, and entered the most holy place, God accepted Jesus and his sacrifice. And because he accepted Jesus, he accepts me. And we are now seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. If you receive the word in here, give God a praise.